You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Hey, we are in a brand new series that we start today. Can't wait to jump into this with you. The book of Genesis. We've titled it Genesis, Genesis in the Beginning God. Uh, awesome, awesome study. We're about to series we're about to get into today. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers will be in the aisle. You definitely want to have a Bible. You'll enjoy the study so much more with the Bible in your hands. And we are in for a journey. Uh, I got to tell you... Uh, I nerded out this week, right? I mean, I got, I, I really nerded out, and today's going to be a little, uh, a little nerdy. We're going to get into some science and stuff, but I've, we've got a great study to jump into, so I can't wait to do that with you. Uh, let's bring our hearts before the Lord as we, and pray as we do. Uh, Lord, we come before you. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the creator of all things. And Lord, we come to you this morning, and we ask that you would speak to us from your word. We realize, Lord, that we're opening up your Bible. It is the holy word of God. The natural man cannot understand the things of you. Unless a man is born again, he cannot even perceive the things of the kingdom. So, Lord, we ask. We're called by your name. We are your people. Give us eyes to see. Give us an ear to hear. Give us a heart to understand the things that are in your word, Lord, that we might know you and understand just how much you want to be in our lives as Lord and as our Savior. So Lord, guide us, lead us, instruct us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, today jumping into Genesis and our first title of the ser- in, in this series is uh, God Creates the Universe. God creates the universe. I want you to know something. It should be obvious. The universe did not create itself. Today we're going to see God created the universe. A little bit of introduction on the book of Genesis. Genesis is one of the most important books in the Bible. It is one of the most important books in the world. Uh, It is the foundation upon which all the other 65 books of the Bible find their basis, uh, uh, find their foundation. Uh, Genesis is incredibly important for us to know and to understand. I believe it is one of the five most important books in the Bible for a Christian to really have under their belt. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, jumping into this series with you over the next several months. Um, Genesis is quoted in the New Testament, quoted or alluded to over 200 times in the New Testament. So if you want to know your New Testament, we have to know the book of Genesis. Uh, It is just a a fascinating and powerful book. Uh, God's plan of salvation begins in the book of Genesis. And it continues all the way through to Revelation chapter 21, where evil, sin, and death are finally and ultimately cast into the lake of fire. 
and sin and death will then be no more. I long for the day, don't you? Especially in this world where we live in, where we see that the chaos is just increasing and, and growing exponentially. Uh, this plan of redemption that God has put in place begins in Genesis. And it will culminate all the way in the end of the Bible, Revelation 21, when God makes a new heaven and a new earth and a uh, uh, world without end. Long for the day uh, where we're all redeemed, uh, the believers of all ages dwelling in God's president, presence in the glorious liberty of the children of God. And so this is uh, our hope. This is our, our, our story that God has written before time began. Uh, uh, and it begins to be unveiled in the book of Genesis. In Genesis, we will see foreshadows of Jesus. Uh, we will see prophetic glimpses of Jesus. We will see God beginning to foretell his story of redemption in the very early pages of Genesis and all through the book. You'll remember that when Jesus resurrected from the grave, I believe if my memory serves me well, it was the first day of his resurrection, that he is there are two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them and they don't recognize Jesus because they think Jesus is dead. And Jesus says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And the two disciples say, you know, what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, what happened in Jerusalem? And they say, are you the only idiot in the world who doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem? Did you have your head under a rock? Loose paraphrase. And they're talking to Jesus. And they begin to tell him about what happened to Jesus. And he opens their eyes and they see him for who he is. And he begins to tell them, the Bible says, from the book of Genesis, from Moses and the law and the prophets, things pertaining him. In other words, he does a Bible study in the book of Genesis, starting in the book of Genesis, and shows them all the prophetic things that Genesis said about him. And so this story of redemption uh, in the early pages of the Bible, and we are going to be looking at it at the weeks to come, and we are going to see Jesus in Genesis. Genesis focuses mainly on two things. Uh, number one... The beginning and the rampant spread of sin into the world. Sin entering in the world and sin permeating the world and all of the world being under a curse because of sin. Uh, Genesis is going to go into that. We're going to see that in detail. And secondly, Genesis shows God's relentless plan to pursue and to save and to redeem mankind. God reveals to us the plan of salvation in Genesis. That a Messiah is going to come into the world. And that that, that Messiah will be a human. He will be a man. And he will be a savior. 
and that he will crush the head of all that is evil, all that is sinful, all that is wicked, and he will redeem man from that corrupt and fallen state. And all of that begins to be revealed in the book of Genesis. As we move into chapter 12 of Genesis, we'll see God narrowing down that path of where the Messiah is going to come as he singles out one man, a man by the name of Abraham. And he says, listen, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I am going to make you a great nation and you will be my people and I will be your God. And in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will bring the Messiah through your lineage. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And so we see this plan of salvation unfolding in Genesis. And it is awesome to look at and to consider. Uh, The author of Genesis is Moses. The Bible itself makes that very clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Moses authored the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Moses is the author. Jesus attributed Moses as the author of of Genesis. Uh, So there is no controversy. Uh, Moses authored the book. Obviously, he wasn't there at creation, uh, and yet there were things that were handed down to him. In Genesis 5, there's a, a mention of a book of genealogies of Adam. So from the beginning of time, when the first man was created, there was a book that Adam kept and that generations kept after that were the genealogies of Adam that told the story of creation. And no doubt when God called Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt... God used him miraculously and all the elders and all the patriarchs of Israel from uh, you know, Adam on had had these preserved writings and had given them to Moses and Moses then uh, compiles them and puts them together and meets with God. God speaks to him face to face and divine revelation and the book of Genesis is written. So uh, the, the, the history, the background of Genesis, if you will. Uh, With that rambling introduction, let's jump in to the book of Genesis, Uh, unless you'd like a little more rambling on, no, 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 let's jump in, Uh, and uh, we're going to read one verse, one verse, one powerful verse, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word. And let's read this all out loud in a thundering voice, unified together, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Oh, it sounds so good. Let's read it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You can be seated. Uh, That's going to be our text for a a moment here, for a while. Uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Greek title for the, uh, excuse me, the name, the, the English title for the book of Genesis is Genesis. It comes from the Greek word uh, where we get the word generations and it means beginnings. 
beginnings. And the book of Genesis this is the beginnings of all things. In the Hebrew, uh, the word in the beginning that's translated in the beginning in English is one word. It is reshith. Everybody say reshith. You're speaking Hebrew. You, you, you can tell everybody I spoke in tongues of the mission church today. Uh, <laughs> Reshith, in the beginning. And uh, that is the Hebrew title for the book, in the beginning. And here we see the opening verse of the Bible is so unique. It is so incredibly powerful. It is the foundation of all foundations. I want you to know that verse that you just read are probably the first words ever written down by man. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Probably the first words written down by man. It is the most commonly known verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it is powerful. Uh, the Hebrew is uh, even more powerful, even more romantic, if you will. It is reshith. Bara Elohim. Uh, in the beginning, God created. Uh, <clears throat> we notice uh, that it uses the name for God, Elohim, instead of the name that we would expect it to use of Yahweh. Elohim in Hebrew is plural for God. God singular is Eloi. Uh, God plural is Elohim. It is the generic name for God. And here we see in the first words of scripture, there is a plurality to the single God. It is the only name like it and that it is plural and yet singular. You'll remember Jesus on the cross cried out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi being singular, calling out to God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, he himself, God the Son, he did not say Elohim, but Eloi, Eloi. Here in Genesis, we have, in the beginning, Elohim, plural God. And the reason that he, uh, the Bible uses the word Elohim, uh, one God, three persons, right? Plural, one God though. Instead of the name for God, Yahweh, is that Yahweh is the covenant name between God and his redeemed people. Between God and Israel. Uh, it is uh, the, the covenant name, uh, the, uh, the name Elohim is God of all people, both saved and unsaved. And in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. We're introduced to a word there, Reshith bara Elohim. Uh, the word bara is an interesting word in Hebrew. It means to create out of nothing. Only God can bara. 
the word, the verb bara, create, uh, is used 55 times in the Bible. Every single time it is used in connection with God as the subject. Never ever is it used with man as the subject. Why? Here's why man cannot create out of nothing. Only God can do that. If we want to make something, uh, we can make something. There's another Hebrew word for that. It is asah. That's to make something. If I want to make this, this pulpit, well, I'll get a tree, I'll get the wood, I'll plane it, I'll shape it, I'll get the metal, I'll dig iron out of the ground, we'll smelt it, we'll burn it in a furnace, we'll pour it in a mold. I'm taking materials from one thing and I'm turning them into another thing. That's what we say when we create something. It's not really creating. It's really making something. It's simply taking it from one thing into another. God and only God can create out of nothing. Bara. Uh, it is unique to God and uh, it is, uh, belongs to him and to him alone. What's interesting to me in this sentence, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, is no other cosmogony, uh, no other origin of the universe even begins to deal with the absolute origin of the universe. In other words, all cosmogonies, uh, rather ancient or modern, start with something of where the universe began. Even our modern day Big Bang Theory starts with something coming into existence. There was an explosion in space as matter came together and exploded, okay, well, where did the matter come from, right? Where, it doesn't start with absolute creation, if you will. Nothing does except the Bible, uh, the absolute origin of the universe. And here it says, in the beginning, Elohim created out of nothing the heavens and the earth. It's interesting, by the way, I did, I really geeked out this week, man. I spent a ton of hours studying science and different things. And, and uh, it's interesting. I looked at the, um, the, the, the minds behind the Big Bang Theory. I looked at the, you know, what, what, what they, how they support it. Here is a direct quote from Encyclopedia Britannica on the Big Bang Theory. Not one of these words is mine. It's right from the, from the encyclopedia. Uh, here's the Big Bang Theory. The universe expanded from an initial state of high density and temperature that occurred 13.8 billion years ago. Uh, that basically says... Nothing. <laughs> and I want to break it down for you. Uh, the only thing that is intelligent in there is the 13.8 billion. How they know, there's no, there's no fact on it. Uh, there's nothing that uh, shows that. And 13.8, why not just 14, about 14? No, 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 because it's a snow job that wants to make you sound like 13.8 billion years ago. Let's break this down a little bit. 
the universe expanded, expanded than what was condensed. Something had to be condensed in order for it to expand. In other words, it doesn't deal with the absolute origin. Uh, it expanded. Well, what expanded? From its initial state. Well, what was the initial state? Something was in an initial state. Uh, it was in an initial state of high density. Well, then... Uh, what was in high density? Something had to be in high density. And temperature. Well, who made the temperature? What made the temperature? Was the temperature hot or cold? They don't say. Nebulous, right? They just It was just a temperature. Uh, well, where did the temperature come from? When did temperature come into existence? And so we see that it doesn't deal with the absolute origin of the universe. And a thinking man, and by that I mean human, a thinking mind would ask, okay, the universe expanded, okay, so there's this big bang and it just exploded. Okay, what exploded? What exploded? What was it that exploded? Something had to explode. Secondly, what did it explode into? The moment that it explodes, it has to go into something. Where was that something? Where was the space before the explosion? You can't just have matter going into night. It has to go into something. And when did it explode, right? Uh, where did it get the energy to explode? And so we see the Big Bang th uh, Theory it really doesn't do anything at all. It doesn't tell us anything at all. And it sure doesn't tell us the absolute origin of creation. It assumes that there's already things there. Now, I'm not against a Big Bang Theory. If God so chose to use the Big Bang, I'm not against it. I just say the Big Bang needs a Big Banger. <laughs> Something that caused this to happen, right? Uh, the Big Bang theory teaches that matter created itself. And that nothing created everything. And it really wasn't nothing because we've already looked. There was something that created everything. Right? And so uh, big, big, huge holes, if you will. Uh, the first ten words of the Bible teach us that God created time, space, and matter. And that he created it out of nothing. In the beginning, time. God created bara out of nothing. The heavens, uh, that's not where God lives. That's the, 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 the universe, the space, heavens, space. Time, space, and matter. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, the universe, and the earth matter. And here we see uh, all of that coming into existence at one time.
God created time, space, and matter. And I want you to know something. Time, space, and matter are a continuum. In other words, they all three have to come into existence at the exact same time. You can't have one without the other. In other words, if you have matter without space, where would you put it? You have to have space in order for matter to come into existence. And you cannot have matter without time, because if you did, when did it get there? The matter, if it came into existence, okay, when did it come into existence? And so we see something very obvious to the thinking mind. Time, space, and matter are a continuum. All three of them have to come into existence at the same time. And the Bible teaches that is exactly what happened. That God, who is outside of time, space, and matter, brought out of nothing time, space, and matter into existence all at the same time. And so the question then arises, well then who created God? If we're talking about the absolute origin of the universe. Who created God? Well, that question reveals that we have totally the wrong concept of God because God himself is not a created being. And he is outside of time, space, and matter. Time, space, and matter are three properties that came into existence at a moment and that they came into existence by a creator who is outside of that universe. We cannot imagine in our finite minds anything being outside of that universe because all we know is time, space, and matter. We don't know anything beyond that. We can't comprehend anything about everything we've ever seen, touched, smelt, dealt, smelt, whatever, is all time, space, or matter, right? But God is outside of all of that. And being outside of time, space, and matter, he is the author of time, space, and matter. And he cannot be defined by time, space, and matter uh, any more than I could be defined by something I created, right? Uh, I'm outside of that. And that is exactly what the Bible teaches, by the way. Ladies, studying the book of Colossians, here's a verse for you from Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Let me hear you read this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. Let's stop there a second. He is outside of time, space, and matter. He existed before time, space, and matter were created, right? Uh, He existed before anything was created and is the supreme ruler over all creations. Read with me. For through him, everything was created in the heavenly realms and on earth. Let's pause there a second. The heavenly realms is not heaven where God lives. No, no, no. The heavenly realms means the universe, Okay, space, the heavenly realms where the planets are. Uh, Through him, everything was created in the heavenly realms and on earth. 
Uh, let's go on, rest of the verse. <clears throat> he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything we see he has made, and also the spiritual things that we cannot see, the things that are outside of the universe of time, space, and matter, he also made all those. Namely, thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities uh, in the unseen world. If you've ever looked at the world and you go, how is the world under a sway? Like everything, everything seems to move across, especially in like these last few days. We've seen a sway in the world on different ideologies. How does that happen? Well, the Bible teaches that there are principalities and powers, spiritual beings that are in this world that are, out, that are uh, affecting things in this world that are outside of the universe, outside of time, space, and matter spiritual beings and he is the creator of things that are seen and the things that are unseen the bible tells us let's go on the rest of the verse everything was created through him and and what and for him and you know what that gives me incredible delight for i find my entire worth in the knowledge of that truth I was created for him, and therefore I have great worth. I do not have great worth because I did something good, or because I'm nice, or because I <clears throat> helped out so many people. I have great worth because I was created for him. And when I blow it, and when I fall, and when I do something really stupid and I'm ashamed of myself, my worth is not diminished because my worth does not come from me. It comes from the one who created me for himself. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. It is by his power the universe is made, and it is by his power the universe keeps its order and keeps moving. <clears throat> uh, again, God created time, space, and matter, and he is outside of time, space, and matter. And I want you to know uh, uh, it is important that we understand these things. Real science has laws. Real science has laws and matter cannot create itself. I'm sorry, Big Bang Theory. Science has laws. And the very first law of thermodynamics says that matter cannot create matter. No matter or energy is now being created or destroyed. All matter always, you know, once it, it always was, and all matter always will be. All energy always was, and all energy always will be. Uh, there is no new energy being made, and there is no new matter being made. All matter always was. That is the first law of thermodynamics. In other words, 
if I take this pulpit and I don't want it anymore and I throw it into the fire, this wood burns up, turns into ash, and the ash goes into the ground. And the ash then fertilizes the soil and a new tree grows out and the new wood comes out, but the matter isn't new matter that is matter that always was just changing a new form just like I turned the tree from a tree into the wood I didn't borrow anything that matter always was right are you with me and that is the first law of thermodynamics. It was discovered, not invented, discovered because all of law, God's laws are discoverable. You may not believe in gravity as a young child. And you might think that you can fly as a young child. And you saw it on cartoons and you're pretty sure it's real. And so you jump off the roof as a young boy, not saying this ever happened, thinking that you can fly. What do you find out? God's laws are discoverable. And the law of gravity will be very real to you and you will hurt your legs really bad. Uh, <laughs> God's laws are discoverable. They are absolute. And in 1850, a German scientist discovered, not created, discovered, just like I discovered gravity, the laws of thermodynamics. And they have been a staple and a standard in developing all science ever since. And they cannot be broken. I'm sorry, Big Bang Theory. Matter does not create matter. It never has. The second law of thermodynamics is called entropy. Both of the laws were discovered by the same scientist, German scientist in 1850. Entropy. Uh, what does entropy mean? Entropy means that everything is going from order to disorder. Uh, it's, re it's reducing uh, uh, entropy. The second law of thermodynamics. Uh, the scientific de definition is this. All existing matter and energy is proceeding irreversibly towards ultimate equilibrium and cessation of all processes. Uh, in other words... If I have a cup of coffee here and it's nice and pop, piping hot, the energy in that coffee is going to go to a state of equilibrium and it's going to become what? Room temperature. If I have an ice cube here, the ice cube, the energy in that ice cube is going to go to a state of equilibrium and it's going to become the same temperature as that hot coffee. Right? If I get a bowling ball and I roll it down the center aisle, well, it has energy in it that I put into it. And that energy is going to be come to a state of neutral as the energy is dissipated in the friction along the ground as it goes. And that energy is going to go into a state of neutral and the ball is going to quit moving. That's why we cannot have perpetual motion because of the second law of thermodynamics. I told you we're going to be nerdy today. Right? Uh, These are God's laws. And matter cannot just create itself. 
and order never comes out of disorder. Everything in the universe is moving from order to disorder. Uh, nothing violates this law. In other words, my clothes never get cleaner by themselves. Our, my kid's bedroom always went from order to disorder. When I dropped the bag of groceries on my way in, a three-course meal never appears. <laughs> a three-course meal takes an intelligent chef and a designer of that meal. Order never comes out of disorder, and everything is moving from order to disorder. And uh, that is just the way it works. Entropy, it's a concrete law of science. And can I tell you something? The Bible teaches the exact same thing. The Bible and science are not opposed. The Bible upholds all of God's laws, including the second law of thermodynamics thousands of years before it was ever discovered. Here's proof, Isaiah 51 on your screens. Let me hear you read this. This is God speaking 700 years before Jesus came onto the earth. Uh, let me hear you read in a unified voice. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. By the heavens, we're talking about uh, the sky. Look at all the stars. Look at all the planets. Look at the Milky Way galaxy, God is saying. And then look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke, and the earth will grow old like a garment. There are several verse, uh, places in the Bible that teach this. The Bible, excuse me, the, the earth is obeying the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy. It's going to wear out. The sun is going to wear out. All energy sources are going to wear out. They're all going to come to a place of neutral and that's uh, going to unwind. Uh, let's read the rest of the verse. And those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will not be abolished. Uh, the material universe has to obey God's scientific laws of entropy, and it's going to unwind. Good news, by the way, when this earth does come to an end, uh, the Bible tells us something. This is Revelation 21. Take a look at this. This is John, he, he's uh, there and he's in a, you know, has a vision from heaven, he's in heaven. Uh, let me hear you read this. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Uh, yeah, oh, <clears throat> multiple times in the Bible, this law of entropy being observed, the universe unwinding and coming to nothing when it does god is going to make a new universe a new heaven not heaven where god dwells but a new uh universe and a new earth and the new earth will be very different than this earth uh so uh, the bible teaches it teaches us these things and may i say nothing in the universe violates the first two laws of thermodynamics that all matter was always there there is no new matter or new energy being created all matter always was and that all uh, uh, everything is, is entropy it's going from order to disorder nothing in the universe violates those two laws of thermodynamics 
Nothing. Well, there is one thing. You want to know what it is? It's the theory of evolution. It says that order came out of chaos. And that nothing, that everything came out of nothing. And godless evolution violates the first two laws of thermodynamics. That's why it is a theory and not a reality. And if you want to believe it, that is your choice. Totally fine with that. God gives you that privilege. But let's be honest. It's a religion, not a science. Right? How we think that evolution can have chaos bring order just by random chance is astonishing to me. I went into the dermatologist uh, a little while back, and uh, as I'm there getting checked out, he goes, oh, you got a mole on the back of your neck, looks precancerous. And I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah, he says, we need to remove it. And I say, no, 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 I'd like to leave it. He looks at me kind of strange, why, why? Well, because I believe in evolution and I think that I'm just going to go lay out in the sun for a long period of time and and just see what happens over a long period of time. I'm hoping that mole turns into an eyeball. (laughs) Because I always wanted to see behind me. What would that be? Insanity. They would have locked me up, right? Uh, Order never comes from chaos, right? And it just never, ever happens. Uh, The universe is a finely tuned, perfect machine, and it did not create itself. God created the universe. He spoke it into existence in the beginning. God created bara out of nothing, time, space, and matter. And he is outside of that creation. By the way, universe universe, everybody say the word, universe, Universe. let's talk about etymology for a moment, universe, uni, one, verse, a sentence, one sentence, universe, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, universe. I want you to know There was history before the creation of the universe. Before the creation of time, space, and matter, and human life, I want you to know there was history. In other words, God was not lonely and in need of you and me to make him not be lonely. God is complete in himself, and he lacks nothing. God speaks of himself to us in the Bible, and he says these words, I quote, If I were hungry, I would not ask you. And God uses an anthropomorphic term in hunger, but it's not that God gets hungry. He's trying to communicate something to us. He's saying, if I had a need of something, which I don't, I am 
complete. If I had a need of something, I would not ask you. Contrary to the warm, fuzzy, emotional theology of modern day Christianity, God doesn't need you because he's lonely. And God doesn't need you. And when your child dies, God didn't need another angel in heaven. That is rancid theology. And it will only lead you at some point in your life to an errant path because it's a lie. God was fully complete in and of himself. He was involved in a meaningful, intimate conversational relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the triune God in one person, in one Godhead. And that is who he was, who he, no, excuse me, not who he was, that is who he always has been. Uh, before the universe was created, uh, uh, before time, space, and matter were created, God was already creating things. He created angels. He created seraphim. He created cherubim. He created all these bizarre and weird and wild creatures that are in his heavenly throne, uh, beautiful creation. I look at creation here on earth and I marvel. I love the diversity of God's creation. I see a soft little bunny and it's just, it's amazing. It's cute. It's so sweet. And I see a scorpion with its tail and I'm like, that's amazing, right? It's like, don't want to touch it, but it's amazing. And, and, and I see the diversity of God's creation. It's amazing. God did not create because he was lonely. He creates because he's an amazing artist who is incredibly brilliant and he loves to give life and power and wisdom and discernment and ability to his creation because he's a masterful loving artist and you are his workmanship he didn't do any of these things because he was lonely he did all these things because he is god he is amazing and he is a wonderful artist and he was in complete glory long before this universe was ever created and once again the bible teaches us that full well on the week that jesus was going to be crucified he went and spent some time in prayer and that prayer is recorded in john 17 it is one of the most profound prayers you could ever study or read and in that prayer jesus said these words take a look uh, he, he, by the way, he, him knowing that his crucifixion was just uh, a couple of days away. This is what he prayed. Read with me. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The word world in Greek, before the cosmos existed. Before time, space, and matter existed, glorify me with the same glory I had before the universe was ever even created. God is outside of the universe, and he didn't create any of us because he was lonely. This is how rich and how powerful he is. 
And so uh, all that time on one verse, uh, in the be- say it with me, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, bara, out of nothing, outside of time, space, and matter. He brings it into existence, our creator. Verse 2. Uh, by the way, we're not going to go through the whole book of Genesis. Uh, it would be uh, 2,000 years before we got done. We're not going to go through it all that slow. So verse 2. Uh, and the, the earth that God created was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hover, hovering over the face of the waters. So there the earth God creates. It's just a ball of water at this time. Uh, and then God said, verse 3, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Here we have the first day of creation. And the Bible clearly teaches that God created the universe in six days. It did not evolve over billions and billions of years. It was created by a God who was outside of time, space, or matter in six days. And here we see something really cool to me. It says uh, in verse 2 that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And what I want you to see in that is that creation is not a closed system. God is involved. He is hovering over the waters. He is designing. He is tuning. He is delighting in his creation. He is involved in his creation. He is outside of his creation, outside of time, space, and matter, but he is involved in his creation. It is not random chance anymore then a three-course meal is random chance. There's a chef hovering over it. And here God is hovering over his creation. He delights in his creation. He delights in being involved in our lives. He delights in bringing us to understand his glory and who he is. And he is involved in his creation. The Bible teaches that when God was creating the universe, that all the myriads, the millions or billions or trillions of host of angelic beings, angels, seraphim, cherubim, all the angelic creatures, they were watching God with all his creative prowess speak the universe into existence. And they were in awe of its beauty, of God's creative artistic power and all that God was doing. And they were worshiping him as he created it. The Bible speaks of that to us. Here in Job chapter 38, it tells us, uh, let me hear you read. This is God speaking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? 
or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. The morning stars in the Bible speak of angelic beings angels. And here it says, uh, they all sang together in worship as God was putting together his creation, as he was speaking it and fashioning it and, and bringing it into existence. They were in awe of his artistic skill and his creative power. It says the sons of God shouted for joy. Sons of God in, in Hebrew is Benai Elohim. Every time the word Benai Elohim is used in Hebrew, it re- refers to angelic beings and angelic beings only and here all the hosts of heaven before the universe was created watch God create the universe and broke out in praise at his majesty and creative power awesome to consider and to watch uh, there is a teaching Uh, that it's called the gap theory, that there is a big gap between verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth, uh, they changed the word was to the earth became void and empty. Um, There, they teach that there was some some catastrophe that happened in the world uh, that caused the world to become barren. They say that God doesn't create anything uh, empty and void, and therefore something catastrophic must have happened for the earth to become empty and void, and they tie that in to the fall of Lucifer. Um, there's a lot of speculation. The Bible doesn't teach any of that. Uh, but there are great minds who hold on to this gap theory. The reason that they want such a theology is also skewed. They want to be able to have an earth that is super billions and billions of years old so that it matches the scientific theory, which isn't scientific at all, the theory of evolution. I want you to know anytime that you're trying to match theology to fit something that is man-made, you're doing things backwards. The way that it should be done is bring our understanding to the theology, right? Uh, theology determines. So uh, it's wrong thinking. The reason, another reason they think this is because of a passage in Ezekiel. Someone was asking me about this before service even today. Uh, Uh, a passage in Ezekiel that speaks of Lucifer before he fell and became Satan, before he rebelled against God. And it speaks of Lucifer as being in the Garden of Eden as a perfect being before he fell. That's Ezekiel 28, if my memory is correct. Uh, And so they think, well, in order for Lucifer to fall... He must have been in the Garden of Eden and then the fall and then billions of years went by with the earth without form and then God recreates the earth here in in Genesis chapter one. Bogus theology. Uh, Here's the answer. Satan was in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden is in heaven. There's a Garden of Eden on earth that is just a pattern of the Garden of Eden in heaven. Uh, 
Just as we read uh, in the uh, uh, book of Deuteronomy that God told Moses to make the tabernacle according to a pattern, the same pattern that was in heaven, the tabernacle on earth uh, where the Holy of Holies is, is just a pattern of the tabernacle that is in heaven. And the Garden of Eden on earth was a pattern of the Garden of Eden in heaven. And Satan fell in heaven, not on earth. And there is no need for a gap theory. Uh, and so uh, a lot of uh, uh, information that you probably didn't want. Um, <laughs> Verse 3 is powerful. Look at this. God said, let there be light. And there was light. I love the Hebrew. If we were to translate it literally, it would say, and God said, light be. And light was. Wow. Light be. And light was. And here we see the incredible omnipotent power of the word of God. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed by the word of God. The incredible power, the omnipotent power of God's word. And men and women, brothers and sisters, if you are facing a difficulty in life, if you are facing hardship, may I remind you of the incredible omnipotent power of God's word. When I am facing a problem in my life, when Lisa and I are going through a hardship, a trial, a problem, guess where I run to? I run to the omnipotent power of God's word for instruction because he can speak light out of darkness and bring it into reality and illuminate my path and show me the way to go when I see no way and I've watched him do it time after time after time he is faithful light be and light was we realize when God speaks light into existence, we now know it is far more profound than we could ever have imagined. For light has a very broad spectrum. And in the spectrum of light, 99% of it is invisible to humans. There is only a very small spectrum of light that is visible light. I have a picture of it for you on your screens. This is the electromag electromagnetic spectrum. This is the spectrum of light, if you will. And you will see uh, it's very broad. And it has things that we just can't see, like radio waves and microwaves and infrared light and ultraviolet light and x-rays and gamma rays and long wave radiation and short wave radiation and all kinds of things that we could talk about that we can't even fit on the screen, but you get the picture. The, the spectrum of light is very wide. 
It's all invisible. The only visible spectrum of light is this tiny little bit right here with which we see the entire universe. That tiny little spectrum is the visible spectrum. Everything else is invisible. And there is incredible power in the light spectrum. God spoke light into existence and all the electromagnetic energies were created. The UV light, the X-rays, the gamma rays, the long wave radiation, the short wave radiation, all of it brought into existence. The energies of the universe were spoken into existence in a moment by the power of God's word. Energy does not create itself. There is an energy giver, and the energy giver is the almighty God who spoke it into existence and all of that energy remains in the universe to this day. It neither increases nor decreases. It just moves into a law of entropy. <clears throat> and this is our creator. And it is, we're out of time. <laughs> I have so much that I want to share with you. This is only day one of creation. <clears throat> when I say I have so much that I want to share with you, it's not to impress you with knowledge. For I, I, I'm, I'm a, I, yeah, well, I'm just a layman. I have so much that I want to share with you because I want you to understand the glory of God. I want you to know how magnificent he is. I want you, like the angels of heaven, to see his handiwork and go, oh my gosh, Lord, you are amazing. What did the angels sing on that day when they saw him speak this together? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it went something like this. Praise be to you, O Lord. Yours is the majesty and the splendor, the might and the power and the dominion. Everything in the universe is yours. You are the creator of all life. You're an amazing artist, an amazing designer, and you speak it all into existence. And of your hand, we receive power and wisdom and intelligence and discernment and perception and... Oh, it all comes from you. Lord, you are amazing. You are worthy of all praise. And the angels were just moved with reverence for the majesty of their creator. This is our God. His name is Jesus. And he gave everything to bring you back to himself. And there is your worth. Shall we stand together? As always, I had planned on getting further. Uh, we'll tackle day two of creation. Amazing discoveries to unfold. I can't wait to study it with you. Read ahead. This week, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May you be in awe and wonder of his 
majestic love for you. And may you even now sing all the praise and glory that is due his name, for he is worthy. Let's sing together. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.